came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here Sunday morning. One great show for you today. We have Senator Ron Johnson from Middle America. What the heck is going on in our country? Dick Morris. Dr. Peter Michalos, how do we live longer? To, to 100 at least. Steve Cates, what's up there in the skies? Mike Colliers from the Wall Street Journal. What's going on with electric vehicles? And let's start off the show with Admiral James DeVrides, the Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Today is the retired Admiral James DeVrides. He's Vice Chair of Global Affairs for the Carlisle Group. Uh, he's Board of uh, Trustees for the Rockefeller Foundation. And most important, he was the Supreme Allied Commander for four years for NATO. There is nobody that's better uh, qualified to tell us what the heck is going on in, in the world, in our country, in Europe. Admiral, Merry Christmas. Today is Sunday before Christmas. What does the world have to look forward to? Well, Merry Christmas to you, John. And uh, we've got a busy year coming up in uh, the world of geopolitics. And let me give you two things I'm worried about and one thing that I'm optimistic about. So let me start with what I'm worried about. Uh, I look at the situation between Israel and Hamas, Israel responding to uh, a a terrible attack on the 7th of October, of course. We all know what's happening. What ought to worry us, and what I am watching closely, John, is whether this expands into a regional war in the Middle East. And the way that could happen, unfortunately, is further Iranian bad behavior. The Iranians are encouraging uh, a rebel group known as the Houthis to attack shipping uh, in the Red Sea and the North Arabian Sea. They are encouraging Hezbollah, a terrorist group to the north of Israel, to continue to inflame the situation there. Above all, they're giving direct military support to Hamas. So, In response, the United States has sent two carrier strike groups, a Marine Expeditionary Unit, half a dozen squadrons of attack aircraft. So unfortunately, the possibility of this Israel-Hamas war expanding to include uh, combat from Iran with the United States possibly getting involved, John, we just can't rule that out. So That's number one on my watch list is a wider regional war in the Middle East. Number two, the second one I'm worried about is the war in Ukraine. Uh, And this, of course, is Vladimir Putin's invasion. 
It is a very dangerous situation. And here, the real action is actually not in Kiev. The real action is in Washington. We've got to provide the military support to Ukraine. Their cause is just. We've destroyed half of Putin's armies without a single U.S. soldier being killed or even placed at risk. We've done it for uh, the equivalent of 5% of the U.S. annual budget for uh, somewhere around uh, $40 to $50 billion, which is real money. But our overall U.S. defense budget is uh, $900 billion. We can afford to do this, and we should. So I'm worried about the war in Ukraine only if U.S. and our European allies fail to live up to the commitments we've made to support Ukraine. John, those are two I'm worried about. Let me tell you something I'm a little more optimistic about, and that is U.S.-China relations. I think for all of us who are involved in the world of finance and trade and business internationally, uh, we don't want to see U.S. and China end up in a a confrontation or, God forbid, a war, say, over Taiwan or over the South China Sea. Um, And the good news is about a month ago, summit between President Biden and President Xi of China went pretty well. And yesterday, John, we heard that the senior U.S. military are now again talking to senior Chinese military. All that stopped about a year ago after the Nancy Pelosi visit to Taiwan. So I'm cautiously optimistic about U.S.-China, that we can maintain stability there. Uh, But I'm very worried about uh, the war in Ukraine and very worried, obviously, about what's happening in the Middle East. John, there's a quick summary of what the, uh, the year ahead will have in place. Understand. Uh, two questions, Admiral. I understand the uh, the GOP point of view, where they want to support uh, the Ukraine, and uh, but they want to support the borders of uh, of America, the United States. Yes. And I don't know. I mean, I can understand that because right now we're under attack. Our borders are just liquid. John, I agree. And the with other that. Point, and and, yeah. and I, and yeah, I, 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 you yeah. I strongly support that view, and I would say that it's actually four things that need to happen, uh, which we've talked about. One is support for Ukraine, support for Israel, support for Taiwan, and security for the border. I think all four of those are strong national security imperatives. And yes, we've had 2 million illegal migrants cross our borders per year for the last several years. We had 30,000 in one day. Um, That cannot continue. And as you know, John, I'm a registered independent, not a Republican nor a Democrat. I'm a centrist. But I think that our southern border must be controlled. So I agree with, I agree with linking you. those two I've together. Been a Democrat. I've been a Democrat. I've been a Republican, but I'm basically a centrist. I want, I want what's best for America. The, uh, the other question is uh, how you ran the whole military in, in that area. How do our soldiers feel 
I mean, uh, they've shut down basically the Suez Canal and the Red Sea. I mean, this is, you know, the, the OPEC nations have managed, you know, oil was down to $69 a barrel. They managed to, through the shutdowns to get it back up to 76 How do you, why is our Navy not responding uh, to, uh, to those people? Yeah, let's uh, let's lay out the situation. Um, the Red Sea, which is just to the south of the Suez Canal, is huge. It's the size of the state of California. Then the northern part of the Indian Ocean is twice the size of Alaska. So this is a huge space of sea, and John about. 15%, maybe 20% of the world's shipping passes through that region. So because of these attacks, which have been sponsored by Iran, um, we have seen uh, not only your point, the cost of oil go up. We're also seeing insurance rates go up. and We're seeing big shipping companies simply avoid the region altogether. All of that will add cost to all the goods that we buy. So it is a very dangerous, significant situation. The U.S. Navy is stretched very thin. We've got half a dozen uh, destroyers and cruisers that are in that region. They're helping defend these merchant ships. They're responding to attacks against them. But, John, this would be like having six police cars patrolling twice the size of Alaska and the state of California. It's insufficient. So what we need to do is get more ships there and not just U.S. ships. We need our allies to step up. And in the good news category, uh, last week we saw half a dozen nations have now pledged additional ships. That's the United Kingdom, Italy, France, many NATO allies. Um, we need to get the Saudis and the UAE to contribute ships. And that's on the defensive side. And I'll close with this, John. We are, in my view, going to have to take offensive action, probably against Iran. If Iran does not pull back these rebels that are causing these attacks. So we need to be thinking about communicating to Iran that we will strike your maritime assets, your oil and gas platforms, your shipping, if you do not cease these attacks, believe me, around is behind these attacks. We need to deal with the source of the evil here, and that's in Tehran. I agree 100%. Admiral, let's make sure we have a, a great new year for our country, for our world, and I look forward to continuing our discussions in the new year. Same to you, John. Have a wonderful new year and a very Merry Christmas. You too. Merry Christmas. Thank you. This is the Cast Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Catch Roundtable. 
Ron Johnson, and uh, he's Middle America, Wisconsin. Senator, Merry Christmas. And where do we start this morning? I mean, tomorrow is Christmas. Uh, it seems like our country is in a mess. Uh, and uh, the borders, what the heck is going on? It's out of control. Well, Merry Christmas, John, to you and your listeners. It is out of control. And you know the problem we have is we have a president of the United States who caused this. You know, this isn't a problem that he inherited. I mean, he, President Biden largely inherited a, a secure border. Uh, we, we were ready to move the next step to, you know, actually fix our legal immigration system. But he and his Democrat allies in, in Congress said that the, the, the Trump administration policies that had secured the border were supposedly inhumane. And so they reversed all the policies that uh, had secured the border, and now it's blowing wide open. I mean, on, on Monday, last Monday, we had a new record, 14,509 uh, illegal immigrants encountered. 14,500. Remember, a bad day under Obama's Department of Homeland Security secretary was 1,000. This is more than an order of magnitude worse. It is completely overwhelming the system. And if you want to talk about inhumanity, you know, look at the human trafficking, the sex trafficking, the drug trafficking, the, the overdoses on you know, every, every street in America. Uh, it, this migrant flow is overwhelming, not, not only cities like New York. Mayor Adams says can destroy New York, but little towns and cities throughout America, there there's police systems, there their public service, public safety uh, uh, systems are being overwhelmed. Their systems, uh, these children that don't speak English, they speak a different uh, uh, variation of, of Spanish. They, they have higher interpreters for their bilingual educators. So it's over, overwhelming local governments and. You know, the other thing it's doing, it's undermining American wages. I, I'm for robust legal immigration that you can control. I, I don't think legal immigration would undermine wages, but illegal immigration does. These, these, a lot of these people don't have work permits. The vast majority don't, but they are working. They are being hired by contractors. And it, it, the other thing it's done is completely set back uh, the time when we can address a, a robust legal immigration system. That would be helpful to America as opposed to harmful. So more than 6 million people, at least 6 million, 1.7, what they call known gotaways, but that's a misnomer. These are just detected gotaways, people that we have no idea who they are or where they are. Quite honestly, we don't know where the vast majority of the 6 million plus people that have come in since the Biden administration took office. So this is an utter catastrophe, utter disaster. And unfortunately, the mainstream media has by and large covered this up, and so you don't have the public outrage demanding that the border be secured and closed. I had Mayor Adams uh, in uh, on my show uh, uh, the other night, and uh, uh, he, uh, he he is frustrated because uh, when he went to he tried to go to Washington to object to try to get some help. Well, they arrested some of his people just to teach him a lesson, I guess. Whether he was guilty or not, who knows? But uh, you know, um, uh, but uh, I know that the Democrats are looking for help for the Ukraine, and we all all want to help the Ukraine. But they better help the. Uh, you know, I agree with you 100. percent We have to help the United States at the same time. Yeah, you know, our open border is a clear and present danger to America. You have FBI Director Ray saying that all the safety signals are, are flashing. Uh, we have the highest threat of foreign 
terrorist organizations since certainly on his watch. You know, how do you think these foreign terrorist fighters might get into America through that porous open border? So it's a massive national security uh, threat to America, and, and we need to take care of that first before we start securing uh, other nations' borders. That's just a fact. And so you know, the only leverage we have with this administration, who, again, wants an open border, it's a, it's a real problem, John, when you're trying to negotiate with the, an administration that actually wants an open border and has caused this crisis. How can you ever trust anything that you would agree to? I mean, how, how, this president ignores Supreme Court rulings. He's lied repeatedly to the American public. Uh, how can you have any assurance that no matter what he agrees to, he'll actually implement? He's not safely executing the laws today. And by the way, President Trump, under current law, secured the border. It's just through sheer willpower. He wanted to secure the border. This president doesn't. So that's a, that's a real problem we have. It's a serious problem, and you're right. Uh, yesterday he was, uh, or the other day, he was making fun uh, of the Supreme Court, saying, see, I took care of those students anyway. So it, it just reminded me of the time he was making fun at the uh, council meeting in New York about, uh, see, I, I held back the billion dollars until they took care of things. No, he, he's, he's a lawless President, he's a, he's running a lawless administration. The, the Supreme Court rules on eviction moratorium said that it was unconstitutional. He extends it anyway. Supreme Court rules forgiving student loans is unconstitutional. He continues to forgive them. So, so again, it's it's a real problem when you have a lawless administration, a president that's not faithfully executing the law, and a president that actually caused this catastrophe. Again, under Obama, a thousand people a day. You know, Trump because of Obama's DACA. That's what sparked all this. They had to deal with, you know, three at most 4,000 people a day. Now it's routinely over 10,000 a day. It's, it's, it's just it's an unimaginable problem. What are we going to do with these millions of people in this country? Well, the problem is getting worse in New York because um, uh, it's starting to get cold here. It's 30 degrees. Oh, it's, I don't know what well, they're going to do in Wisconsin, people. too. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, the, I, I the, Red the, local... the Red Sea. Ships are under attack, uh, and the, the the OPEC nations are accomplishing what they want to accomplish. Oil went up five dollars a barrel in the last seven days. So, is it uh, is it designed to do that? Well, again, I think the only rationale for the open border is uh, you know these people coming in obviously are very grateful to President Biden and his Democrat allies, and they're counting on that. They're, they're that's why they push mail and voting, you know, absentee balloting. They want to make it easy to cheat. And I mean, in New York, you, you allow non-citizens to vote in some elections. That's a trend that Democrats want to start uh, because they, they want to secure their power. And they're doing one of the ways they're doing it is bringing all these illegal immigrants to eventually vote for Democrats. That's, that's the game plan here. Senator, tomorrow is Christmas. Anything else you want to tell all Americans? Well, first of all, I just love the season. It's a season of, of joy. Uh, hopefully everybody can find peace in the season. Uh, spend time with your friends, your family. Try, try and set aside the disaster that is Democrat governance and just concentrate on the things that uh, really uh, are important in life, your faith and your family. So God bless everybody. Have a very Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Senator. And hopefully our country will have a better 2024 because we need a good year. 
because things are not good. Thank you so much. Stay well. guys I know. He was a consultant for uh, and a strategist for Bill Clinton, a consultant strategist for Donald Trump. Dick Morris, Sunday morning, the holidays, the new year is coming upon us. What's, what do you see things going? Well, Merry Christmas, John. Thanks. Happy New Year. Um, of course, the big thing is the Colorado, uh, the Colorado decision um, trying to remove Trump from the ballot. And I think that that is wrong. I think it's going to be reversed, and I think it's going to backfire massively on the Democrats. Um, the public is not prepared to live in a world in which a court or a dictator or decides when we can vote and how we can vote and how we can choose our president. They're going to insist that this remain the right of the free people to do and to vote as they wish. And for four judges in Colorado, to say that no Coloradoan, and by extension, no American, can vote for one of the other candidates for president is the very essence of fascism, communism, and dictatorship. And I think the American people will reject it. Particularly, I, I think the, the American people, I think you're right, the American people are getting uh, sick and tired of this nonsense. Yep, they are. And the basis for it all, John, is the January 6th demonstration. And uh, the Speaker of the House uh, has said that he will release the tapes from that, the videotapes, which have not been widely seen. They've only been edited versions released by the January 6th committee. And uh, those tapes show that this was not a revolution. There were no guns. It was not armed. There was not an attempt to overthrow. There was not an attempt to kill anybody. The worst there was was an attempt to ask the states to reevaluate the election returns they sent to the Congress to be sure they were accurate before they were passed on into history. And uh, 25 senators voted for that, and that was not a revolutionary action. And for a court to reach back and say that it was an attempt to overthrow the government or prevent an election from being held uh, is just outrageous. Politically, I think, it exposes that the Democrats will do anything they can, whenever they can, in any form they can, to block Donald Trump from becoming president, even if it means suspending an election in the United States. It's ironic that at the very time uh, Biden is saying that Trump would be a dictator, he himself, through his partisans in Colorado, is the one who's attempting to set up a dictatorship by ruling the front-running and the likely Republican candidate for president off the ballot in a key state. You can't get more dictatorial than that. And the excuse he's using for it is that he uh, allegedly inspired a mob who was going to take over the Capitol. Uh, the mob was unarmed. Uh, there was no, it was a largely peaceful demonstration until perhaps incited by the FBI agents, it became unpeaceful. And the, and the intent of it was not to cancel an election, it was to get an honest election. So I think that this is uh, not only going to help Trump, but it's going to totally pull the rug out from under 
what has become the principal argument of the Biden campaign, that Trump wants to be a dictator. Understood. And uh, I think you're more right than wrong. Yeah, and, well, uh, good. It's, and you know what I'm still upset about? That poor woman losing her life by that security guard yeah. just shooting her in the head or wherever he yeah. shot her. Point blank, yeah. Point blank. I mean, I mean, the point is that you can't, uh, you, you can't on the one hand run on the basis of a democracy, and on the other hand spend the application of that democracy over a over a contrivance like that January sixth was somehow a revolution to topple the government. Understood. What are you going to talk about at noontime today when your show goes on? You're on between noon and two on WABCRadio.com. Yeah. I'm going to talk, obviously, about the political situation, but in the way it just described. But I also want to talk a little bit about the impact of Christmas throughout the world, that the about the civilizing impact of Judeo-Christian thought and how it totally transformed and transforms human nature and the cruelty in our society and makes it more humane. For example, the ASPCA was set up by a Christian group uh, to to uh, uh, inspired by Christmas, the uh, the end of beatings in schools, the end of of, uh, of public punishments. Uh, I think all of those things are testaments to our civilization, and I think that most that they do not exist in non-Christian countries. And I think we have to celebrate the impact of the Judeo-Christian ethic on our lives. I look forward to listening to you at 12 o'clock, and God bless you, and, and happy holidays. Enjoy Thank the you. new year. Bye-bye, Ken. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to wabcradio.com. Go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. Well, boys and girls, it's Christmas time again. What is today's Dr. Peter Mihalos? A historian, a expert in, in medical uh, uh, medicines and um, medical procedures. And Dr. Mihalos, uh, welcome back. I understand you went to a conference uh, that talked about longevity. Yeah, I was uh, very interested in learning more about uh, anti-aging. And uh, as an observer, just listening to doctors from around the world who study this and uh, referencing all the peer-reviewed literature, and there's a lot of new and exciting things. Uh, many of them uh, initially were done in mice studies, which often translate into human studies. And uh, they found things that were very interesting, like, for example, a common blood pressure medicine called an ACE inhibitor that helps control blood pressure. And that controls the chemical system in our kidneys that controls our blood pressure. They also found that one of the side effects is that it may help extend lifespan and may help activate some of the longevity pathways in our bodies, which was very, very interesting uh, to hear. And then on the other side, outside of medicines, 
the one of the explanations that they had for uh, some of the blue zones were that some polyphenols or uh, chemical compounds found in uh, green mountain tea found in uh, in Greece, the mountain teas found in Greece and some other areas of the world that are grown in high altitudes and under stress, they found that those plants, in addition to being diuretics and helping to lower blood pressure, they also had very powerful antioxidant and anti-aging effects. So it's amazing how many things from nature uh, have turned out to be. The other thing we've talked about is the power of extra virgin olive oil and a chemical found inside olive oil called oleic acid. And that also seems to turn on the longevity genes, which are called the sirtuin genes. And that's another fascinating finding that through diet and something as simple as quality extra virgin olive oil can also help extend uh, life, which was uh, also very interesting. And the other thing that they confirmed and they talk about is all the studies related to our intestine and our gut and how there are so many tests now that we can see what is going on in our intestine and how having targeted probiotics where basically they tell you which ones you're low in, which ones you're high in, if you have an overgrowth of the bad ones. And once you balance that, a lot of your other medical conditions start to improve. So the gut microbiome is going to probably be part of a regular doctor visit in the next five years uh, that that we're, we're learning more and more about. So that was something else that uh, I found very interesting in. And some other chemicals that are found in pathway, just like magnesium, turns out to be a very important uh, mineral in various chemical pathways that are needed for health, longevity, hormone maintenance. Taking uh, a magnesium complex we can discuss with your doctor at night not only helps you sleep, not only probably helps with regular, more regular bowel movements, but it's also involved in a lot of the chemical pathways needed to produce a lot of the chemicals that make us who we are. So those were some of the uh, takeaway points and then some exciting things happening in the world of uh, stem cells. Now, on, on and the magnesium, uh, is, there a, does it, uh, is it cumulative in your body or you just uh, pee it away? No, you 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 accumulate some of it in your liver, but it, it gets out goes out through the bile, and we do pee some of our magnesium out, just like all the water soluble vitamins like vitamin C go out through our kidney. The ones that don't go out are called the fat soluble vitamins. The mnemonic is ADEK, A D E K, vitamin A, vitamin D, E, and K. They accumulate in the body. And uh, another interesting fact is about vitamin K two. That that's why a lot of vitamin D complexes are given with K2 because they found that when you take the K2 form of vi with vitamin D, it gets absorbed, the calcium gets absorbed into your bones and not into coronary artery plaques. And that was very important. And something else we talked about, speaking about plaques, they found this um, bifida strain of bacteria that are found in the mouth. They found those bacteria in plaques in the heart. And that's why it's so important to brush your teeth well, get your uh, dental cleanings at least twice a year because bacteria from the mouth and when you have gum bleeding and gum disease get into the bloodstream and they actually can damage heart valves. And that's why some people who've had certain prosthetics and they tell them to take antibiotics before dental procedures or sinus procedures or even a dental cleaning, people who have heart valve issues. So these are other fascinating things. So we're learning more and more about how to stay healthy 
and the science behind it that's actually proven and not hocus pocus. And uh, we just want to keep sharing all this information with our listeners to keep them healthy, alive, and living longer and uh, stronger. Well, Dr. Peter Mihalos, Merry Christmas. Have a great day, and uh, look forward to a great new year for all of us. Happy New Year to all our listeners, and thanks for always getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable. With us today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky, and it's the day before Christmas. And uh, we're with him every uh, Sunday, looking up in the skies and trying to find out what the heck is going on. Well, Steve, tell us what's going on. Well, good morning, John, and Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, as we're one day away, as you say, here on the Cats Roundtable. You know, folks, uh, many people may have missed this, but the beginning of winter, we don't always stare at the sun and wait for that to happen. But in this case, it happened back on December the 21st at 10.27 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Most of us know that that becomes some of the shortest days of the year. What I wanted to bring to the audience's attention, John, is a festival that actually took place during the Greek and Roman period, Saturnalia. What does that have to do with the celebration of Christmas? Actually, it's interesting. Simply, it was a Roman pagan festival, which they were honoring the god Saturn of agriculture, This is where they exhibited great celebrations with reefs, candles, trees, and, of course, the promise of a new spring harvest. So that took place around December the 17th of the calendar and went on for about 10 or more days. But you probably know better, John, the Greek festival of Kronia, which was a summertime festival, a midsummer celebration for a hopeful good harvest. We actually have a connection between Saturnalia and that of Christmas. I find that fascinating as people, of course, a long time ago did different types of celebration this time of year around the solstice. Well, I always look for things to celebrate, but that's my good nature. And uh, I I actually never heard of it before, but uh, it's good to know. Absolutely. And we now talk and we go above the earth here. We go up and talk about something interesting. We heard about a big delay about the launch of the X-37, that American so-called secret spycraft. Well, folks, as you know, John, as we reported before, the Chinese spacecraft called Shenlong, kind of an almost replicant copy of what we have as our X-37. Why is it in the news? It's actually released some six objects that are actually transmitting signals. This is interesting because, well, not to jump to conclusions, we don't really know. We'll always be honest, nor does anybody else. They're doing something just like we are in the high ground of space, which is quite interesting. But John, now, you know, did, release, I, yeah, go ahead. did it release it in, uh, uh, in Earth orbit or anyplace else? They did release it in Earth orbit. Six little vehicles, maybe small, tiny micro-satellites. But what are they doing? Nobody really knows. But unfortunately for many, the high ground where we have in space, sadly, it looks like the next place for warfare. Of course, I don't like that, nor do you. You know, cooler heads should prevail. But we report about this. But, John, something that we and I actually had a big scoop on, and very few people in the media were really talking about the big solar flare that happened last week, and I was so proud to be able to report that with you and continue to talk about it. Things have quieted down a little bit, but as they say, we're not not out of the woods yet. 
as this solar cycle continues to expand. But, you know, we always talk, John, about the mystery of the week. And here's something really strange. The reason I mentioned the solar flare is we usually get to see the auroras or the northern lights. Well, now we find there's something even more bizarre. It's a blue or orange band in the sky, sometimes purple, and it has a name called Steve. Now, I have nothing to do with that, John, but what they think it is, it stands for something called Strong Thermal Emission Velocity Enhancement. Now, that's complicated. So what could this be? We find out that in the Earth's magnetic field, a lot of these protons that are coming out from the sun are aligning up with the Earth's magnetic field. John, can you imagine 100 million electron volts in this big band of light? So what we're finding out, the more we look at the sky, new discoveries all the time. So if people are out there and they see the northern lights and see this purplish big band in the sky, you know you heard it first here on the Cats Roundtable. Interesting stuff. Very interesting. And uh, I, I love the study of space. And uh, I just wish it goes uh, further, faster, so we can get to see it. Absolutely, John. And one last note. In the live sky, what people can see, don't forget, the beauty of the last full moon of this year called the long night moon or the cold moon, December the 26th, the day after Christmas, 7.33 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It adorns our skies. And, of course, we look forward to positivity in the year 2024. We'll be talking about a big total solar eclipse that's coming in April. Much more to talk about. Check us out at wabcradio.com for the Dr. Sky Experience. And once again, John, a privilege and honor to be on the Cats Roundtable every week with you and the many people listening across America. We do thank you. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and a happy new year. Thank you, Steve Cates. Merry Christmas. Have a great day with the family tomorrow. Thank you, sir. This is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable. On the first day of Christmas, my true love sent to me a partridge in a pear tree. On the second day of Christmas, my true love sent to me two turtle doves. With us today, the day before Christmas, is Michael Colliasco a Wall Street Journal reporter that's very much concerned about what's going on in our automobile industry and what's going on with electric vehicles. And it's my concern, too, because I don't believe it's efficient for our country and our uh, consumers. Michael, uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, Tell us what the heck is going on in the automobile industry. Well, thanks, John. I appreciate it. Um, Yeah, so it's an interesting time right now, I think, over the last two or three years, there was a ton of enthusiasm, consumer interest in electric cars. All the car companies, you know, partly because Tesla has had a lot of success and their stock has um, shot up so much over the last five years that, you know, they all were racing to to put electric cars out. Um, They sold, you know, the ones that were able to get them out, sold a lot of them. There was big wait lists. People were selling, you know, Companies were selling them five, ten thousand dollars above sticker price. But what we've seen in the last six months is a big deceleration of that sales growth. Sales are still up; they're going to be up almost fifty percent this year in the U.S. But that's down from seventy percent last year. And so I think what's going on is 
you know, a lot of the early adopters have already gotten their cars. Uh, and now you, the companies have to reach more of a mainstream buyer. And I think a lot of those people have some hesitancy around whether or not an electric car makes sense for them and for their lifestyle. I've been negative on General Motors because uh, uh, our, the, our, the chairwoman there has been pushing electric cars a, a great deal. And uh, the fact is that uh, they've lost a ton of money on electric cars. They've lost the they lost money on the new union contract, and now they also they they up the dividend. How do you up a dividend when you're losing money? Yeah, GM's an interesting story right now. So it's kind of like you have to sort of look at it in in two buckets. One is the, the just the core car making part of the business. You know, Chevy Tahoes and and Cadillacs and and uh, GMC Yukons, all that stuff. GM is doing really well with their, their costs are down. Their profits are way up. Um, they've had really strong pricing as most car companies have since the pandemic, because there's been, you know, some supply chain shortages, the chip crisis and all that. And so the pricing has been really strong. And for years now, Mary Barr is at her 10 year mark as CEO. And she really has a track record of profitability at that company, roughly double what they were making before. She always hits her quarterly numbers. So that part of the business is throwing off a ton of cash. Everything's running really well on that side. It's it's the growth initiatives that she's put in place, this, the electric vehicles, and they've got a, a pretty ambitious driverless car program based out in San Francisco. Both of those have, have had a lot of trouble. Like you said, yes, they're losing money on EVs. Most traditional car makers are. You know, they say that eventually once they get to – scale these things and actually are pumping out a lot of them that the profits will come. But for right now, it's messy. It's losing money. It's, it can be a growth business for them if they, and she feels like they can catch Tesla at some point, but it hasn't gone smoothly because GM was one of the first big car companies to really move in this direction. And the last two years, they've had trouble even getting these things out of the factory. And some of their competitors have had more success with that. So yeah, it's a bit of like, it's kind of two stories with with GM right now. Uh, with the Ford, uh, Jim Farley took one of his uh, cars out for a ride. Uh, one of his uh, what was it? The uh, the 150, uh, and he was shocked by the performance, and he was shocked by the non-performance. And uh, since then, they have reversed course. Yeah, well, Ford's kind of in the same boat. I mean, they so Ford under Jim Farley. You know, he came in, he's a real car guy and, you know, he races cars. And, and so he loves, you know, he loves the product and he's always, you know, test driving things. And, and they, they had, they had, a, they made a lot of noise with the um, F-150 Lightning when it came out a year and a half ago, kind of middle of 2022. Uh, you know, Jimmy Fallon was promoting it and, you know, it got, it got a lot of play and sales were strong. They've since started to backtrack. Also, they're they're pulling back on some of their EV investments. They're they're going to um, I think cut their planned production of that Lightning in half next year, and they're seeing some of the same things. I think initially a lot of people were excited about it. Um, pe- there's there are people who are really happy with it. There are other people I've seen on social media where it's like, well, if I you know if I tow this thing up a if I tow a boat up a mountain pass, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be out of range by the time I get to the top or it's going to be really low. And so the trucks aren't, you know, an electric truck's not going to do the same kind of things 
as a gas-powered truck. So depending on what you need it for, you know, it might not be the right choice. And so I think all this stuff is playing out in the market, and the companies are trying to adjust. And I think what they're finding is that this is going to be messier and take longer maybe than they initially thought, although they're not giving up on it. They've, they've got tens of billions invested in this stuff right now. Yeah, it's hard to take a $10 billion write-off. Uh, what else would you like to tell the average consumer? Would you buy an electric car? So, listen, I, so about a year ago, I went to buy a car. I considered an electric, and I went with a hybrid instead. And my reasoning was I live in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I commute to Detroit. It's about 45 miles. I'd probably be okay, but then the occasional trip to Chicago to see my, to see my family – you know, there's you got to think pretty hard about that, right? Like you you got to figure out where the chart where you're going to charge it, and you got to build an extra time, and that's assuming everything goes right. Because sometimes you get to one of these chargers and they don't work very well. So, I think what I tell people is it kind of depends on your situation. If you've got if if you've got a place to charge, you know, a nice garage where you can put install a charger. Which if almost anyone who buys an electric car, that's what they do. They have a charger at their house where they charge overnight, they get a full charge. I mean, if that's the case and you have another car that you can take when you need to go on that four-hour road trip or whatever it is, you can you can live a normal life and be perfectly happy in an electric car. Avoid going to the gas station. You save money. The things are fun to drive. You can commute. You know, <laughs> run the kids to practice, do errands. You're totally fine. It's the people who have to rely on just one car. That electric car is their only car. And if they have to go on a road trip, it becomes an adventure. And so, you know, it's it's still not it's it's still not for everybody. And I think a lot of people are going to give it pause because of that charging infrastructure problem. Michael Colliers, thank you. Merry Christmas, and we'll talk to you again in the new year. Thanks for having me on, John. Merry Christmas to you too. If you ever miss a segment or want to hear it again, go to WABCRadio.com, go to podcasts, go to minicasts, and play back your favorite segment. Thank you for listening to the Cats Roundtable every Sunday morning. We'll bring you the latest in what's happening in our community, our country, and the world. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Have a nice Sunday.